Grant, O Lord, that through the spoken word and through the written word, we may behold the living word, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Do please sit down. You should have, uh, I think it's probably a, a yellowy or a pinkish set of notes. The yellow ones there. Um, thought you might as well benefit from that as well. <laughs> the parable of the lost sheep is probably one of the, uh, the best known of Jesus' parables. And it's part of a group of three. We had two of them actually in that gospel reading. There's the lost sheep the lost coin, probably less well-known, and the lost son, or the prodigal son, probably the best known of them all. Three lost things. And this particular sermon is stimulated by a sermon that Heather preached on the 3rd of July. Um, and it was a sermon about the fields are ready for harvest, but the laborers are few. If you go on our sermon website, you can download it. It's still there, and it's well worth listening to again. But it made me think about this particular parable. It's a riposte to the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees uh, didn't approve of the company that Jesus kept. He was eating with tax collectors and sinners. He was mixing with the wrong sort of people. If you like, the church in his day had got certain standards to keep up and Jesus wasn't fitting in with them. And yet it's a strange parable because it's always puzzled me as God seems to have some rather remarkable arithmetic here that you leave the 99, our translation says in the wilderness, you can actually, it really doesn't necessarily mean that, it just means out in the open, not in the sheepfold, you leave the 99 and you go off and look for the one that's lost. Isn't this leaving the 99 at some hazard? Why, why does, if you like, God's mathematics make the one of equal value to the 99? And then if you think about it a little more, one lost sheep disappears off, we know not where, um, there's all sorts of pictures you'll have seen sort of religious art. I've given you one example um, on the handout. Um, interestingly, it's a topic that's not excited classical artists. Almost nobody of any note has painted the lost sheep. Um, Sir Everett Millet is the only one. It's a pen and ink drawing. It's very gloomy, very dark. It wouldn't reproduce very well of Jesus scrambling down a rocky hillside while eagles are circling over the sheep that's been trapped and he's trying to rescue. It isn't something that's excited uh, the attention. But is it really only one lost sheep? If we look at the flock, as it were, the whole flock of God, aren't there a lot more than one lost sheep haven't people got themselves lost and disappeared and are not here anymore or never were? Well, let's think of a few possibilities of lost sheep. There's the abandoned sheep. The sheep that feel that maybe they didn't get much attention from their parents when they grew up. They've not got much attention later in life. 
They feel that actually they don't belong anywhere and nobody loves them, nobody cares for them. They may not be able to vocalise all that, but they don't find it easy to mix with other people because other people don't seem to want to mix with them, or so they think, maybe because they've not tried, but that doesn't actually alter the fact that they feel alone and lost in life. They'd love somebody to come to them, to hold them, to love them, but it rarely happens. I'm not worthy of love, the abandoned sheep might feel. I don't deserve anybody to come to me and be interested in me and look after me for myself. I've just got to get on with it as best as I can. And this parable that Jesus told offers an answer and an, a way out for those abandoned sheep because there's a repentance, a conversion, a turning round, and a being accepted by the flock and loved. The flock needs to be an accepting community for abandoned sheep. Otherwise, the abandoned sheep is just going to feel it's happening all over again. They don't really want me. Nobody loves me. What's the other bit? I'm going to go and eat worms or something, but I don't think that's in the New Testament. I'm going to go and eat worms. Um, how many people in our society just feel they are unworthy of being part of anything? Oh, I can't go to church, really. Sort of a, um, I've done such terrible things. I've done awful, you know, the things that... Uh, my life is so full of failure. I'm ashamed of it. I don't actually want to have to admit to any of that to anybody. I have trouble admitting it to myself. I'm an abandoned sheep. A work of grace is needed. A community that accepts them, that shows them that actually, yes, actually Jesus can be there for them. That even in the darkness of despair, Jesus went there first. And so there is a way out that there is somebody who will accept them and the flock that will accept them shows him in many ways a, a pale picture of the love of God but nevertheless a bit of a picture they see something of God's love and Jesus' acceptance in the flock that they can return to well that's the abandoned sheep there's another set of sheep there's the, the misunderstood sheep the sheep of original minds who look at the flock and think, the church is so stuck in its ways, I don't really know, you know, I, oh, they won't listen to the things I say. They take no notice. They think that they've actually got it all, all sorted out. And they're going along in their own little way and they're so boring. Um, but actually, the misunderstood sheep would actually like to be there. They, they would love to be appreciated and admired but nobody understands me. Misunderstood sheep are reluctant to return because they think they might be going to be judged, that they come back and the flock, oh, I know what they'll say, they'll say, about time too, you've come to your senses, you've come back. They still don't understand. A bit like the prodigal son in the third of the stories, coming back to his father, rehearsing all the things that he wants to say about how he's not worthy to be called your son. I know that I got it wrong, you got it right. And before he could get any of those words out of his lips, 
the Father embraces him and calls for robes, for sandals for his feet, for a ring for his finger, and throws a party for him. The misunderstood sheep needs a community that's joyful and knows how to party, that knows that actually you don't have to conform to join in. You just have to be there and enjoy being with them. The misunderstood sheep still needs to come to that moment of realisation, like the prodigal son did in the wilderness, that why am I so stupid staying here in such isolation when in my father's house there is everything? I'm not worthy to be his son. I'll go and see if he'll take me on as one of his hired servants. There's a third group as well. There's a group of depraved sheep. It might seem a bit strange, but these depraved sheep actually don't really leave the flock. They're there. They're in the flock, but on their own terms. They're the ones whose behaviour causes other people to dismiss the flock, that causes the misunderstood sheep to look back and say, well, I don't want anything to do with that, with their behaviour. And their behaviour is often such within the flock that actually they get very angry if anybody in the flock or if the church as a whole, I'm shifting between flock and church, you might notice, dares to challenge their behaviour. The church should keep out of politics. That's not the place for the church to be. The fact that I've done all these business deals and I've made millions and millions of pounds, and actually I've made a, quite a large number of people homeless because I've demolished their houses. Um, the fact that I've, I've broken the rules, that I've some of the stuff I've done is really quite dodgy, but I've read the law carefully and it's just inside the law. Or I'm the people who do the fly tipping by the side of the road, because actually why should I bother to make an appointment at the tip and go there? But they're within the flock and they're angry if anybody challenges them. It's going to be interesting actually when we have a new Prime Minister because I can foresee some slightly stormy waters ahead at this point. And you will hear at times the refrain from some, particularly if one of the archbishops or somebody else sort of pops up and challenges the political structure on something. Somebody will say, well, the church should keep out of politics. The Bible is not about politics. And you always have to remember Archbishop Desmond Tutu's comment on hearing that. Well, if they say the Bible's not about politics, I don't know which Bible they're reading, because the one I'm reading is all about it. And there's great joy in heaven over a sinner that repents. In South Africa it sent itself with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, there was great joy that that country was able to move to a peaceful future rather than the violent one. Well, that's three sets of um, rather um, unpleasant sheep or difficult sheep. There's also those good sheep as well. Of course there's good sheep. There's plenty of good sheep but they probably find themselves overburdened and stressed. They lose heart, they look at other flocks that are more successful, and they get little recognition. Well, let's recast the parable. Let's look at it in a different way and see if it actually it can reflect on our life here in St. Paul and St. Stephen. Let's recast it instead of being the parable of the lost sheep as the parable of the lost shepherd, the shepherd who's gone missing. Well, what's the flock going to do? Well, 
Is it going to say, oh, well, I don't think we need shepherds, really. Uh, aren't we natural-born sheep? Haven't we got a wonderful history of being sheep without shepherds? Uh, we can do it ourselves. We can go on our own. We can form ourselves um, into the, uh, the League of Independent Sheep. Sort of outbreak of primal sheep romanticism. Of course, it doesn't work. wonder what the flock, going back to the parable, would have said at the loss of the shepherd. Well, some would have said, I'm sure, uh, well, we don't do anything at all. We just sit tight and wait for him to be back. I know it's not happened before, but sit tight, do nothing. Some are a bit more mournful about it. Oh, he's, well, he's gone forever. He's, we just have to find some way of getting on without him. Others, perhaps more realistic, say, well, actually, he's pretty, maybe he's looking for lost sheep. Maybe he's, he's looking for one of our number who are not with us. Others say, well, maybe something's happened to him. And this flock had got a few wise sheep among them as well. And one of the wise sheep said, hmm, you know, maybe there's a purpose to all of this. Maybe he wants us to change direction as a flock. Maybe this is challenging us. Maybe he has gone to look for lost sheep. But maybe we need to go and see if we can find him and help him in that. Going back to Heather's sermon at the start of July, which uh, involved the, uh, the disciples going out two by two and the mission of the 70 going out two by two. The flock divide themselves into small groups and they go and see if they can go out everywhere, see if they can find the shepherd. Well, they don't, actually, at least not to start with. But, oh boy, do they find a lot of lost sheep. They find sheep that actually didn't belong to their flock that have been lost for ages and are so happy to see somebody come to find them. And they bring back some of the lost sheep to the flock. And the flock rejoices greatly that their numbers have increased because we've got some lost sheep that have come back that we would never have known about if the shepherd hadn't disappeared but we've got to keep going because we want the shepherd back as well. So they keep going searching for the lost sheep, uh, for, the, for, the, for the shepherd with the lost sheep. And one day they do find the shepherd, but he's been robbed and beaten and he's dead. And they bring him back to the flock with great distress and wonder what this all means. One version of this parable, or reworking of the parable, has the flock realising that actually in all the lost sheep that come back, they do see the shepherd, that the shepherd has enabled them to do it. But in another version of it, as they continue their work of looking for lost sheep with what they now know is a shepherd who's died to find lost sheep, they occasionally meet with somebody that seems to be another shepherd of some sort or other who encourages them and gives them strength to go on with their search. And then a little later, back in the flock, one of their wise sheep they've got, who's heard of so many of their groups, have met somebody that actually, it's not really, they can't be the shepherd because the shepherd's dead. 
but who spoke the words of encouragement that the shepherd had spoken to them. And this wise sheep said, don't you remember? But the shepherd said, as the Father sent me, so I sent you. That's what we're doing. We're fulfilling the shepherd's command that he got from his Father. And so for us here in our church today, in vacancy, or better, expectancy, Heather encouraged us not to think in terms of pure results of numbers, because actually, if you go back in Luke 10 um, to where they, this parable, uh, the mission of the 70 and, uh, is, is set, you'll find that what they gain out of it and what they, is not the converts, if you like, and the lost sheep and the wonderful things that happen, but realising that they're doing the will of the Father, that they've come into a deeper experience of God. Yes, our numbers are falling. We have very few children. We're an ageing group. Our finances are not good. Is the cup half full or half empty, she challenged us with. Remember her saying, sort of, I probably could divide you in two, you know, half full ones that side, half empty that, but I'm not going to do that. It could be too embarrassing. Um, are you looking at this from God's point of view or from ours? Do we simply wait, assuming we can do nothing, because only a new shepherd can take us forward? Or do we learn? Do we learn from Jesus, as the Father has sent me, so have I sent you? It's one of the great commissions of Jesus. It's the one we hear about least so frequently. Can we learn from the flock that needed to accept people? Can we work, and we already are, an accepting community, an inclusive community, one that will welcome anybody in? because that's where the abandoned can find love. Can we be, and I know we can be, a joyful, rejoicing community as we're moving past all the restrictions of COVID. You know, Heather's Leaving Do was a wonderful example of being able to join in food together and actually do some of the things that we're actually very good at doing in the past and COVID brought to a complete stop. And we'd be a rejoicing, joyful community where the misunderstood can find a home and a community of faith that longs to stand with the marginalised, the oppressed and the abused. I think we're probably not called to activism. I don't think that actually, I'm pretty certain actually, that what's needed is not to divide you in groups of three or four and send you all out into the parish um, to stop people and knock on doors and say, are you a lost sheep, would you like to come back, or whatever. Um, that's not going to work for us at all. We haven't got the human resources anyway. We're not the sort of people who would find that. But we can be a people who, mon who model the love of God in, within ourselves to include people in. We're part of the lost sheep mission in Gloucester. And just to finish with a quote from one of the leading missionary theologians of the last century, Leslie Newbigin, who was bishop in Madras 
in South India, was, um, went out as a Presbyterian missionary, came back to this country um, to be a United Reformed Church minister in Birmingham, who, who is very perceptive. And Leslie wrote, the only effective hermeneutic of the gospel is a congregation that believes it. Now, hermeneutic, difficult word. Here. The only effective way of communicating and being the gospel is to be a congregation that believes it. And that's you and me. Linda, can you put our prayer up on the overhead projector, please? And as we sit, we shall pray this out. Our prayer for vacancy. So together let us pray. Holy God, hear our prayer for our church of St. Paul and St. Stephen. Breathe your life into us and renew us. Pour your truth into us that we may grow strong and secure. May our hearts beat with love and compassion for the community in which we live. May we be a place and a people of hope with doors, hearts and minds open to those around us. Guide us as we seek your will in this time of vacancy. Show us the path to follow to take us forward. Form us into the church you need us to be for this time and this place. May our lives and this part of Gloucester be transformed by the power of your love. Amen.